flatlined. That's what the S&P 500 has been so far this year, following a roaring bull market, which saw 24% gains in the S&P 500. Yet, what are we expecting this year? Well, a lot of people are seeing rate cuts, they're seeing bullish news, but it hasn't happened yet. Our guest though today on Buy, Hold, Sell was right, wire to wire last year, and you're gonna wanna hear what he has to say what's in store for 2024. Welcome everyone to Buy, Hold, Sell. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith, out in sunny and very cold Scottsdale, Arizona. Course, you know, cold. I always recommend you pay the heating bill. I think we, I think we missed one. I don't, I don't know. The heat has been out for two days. He's out there with the ice scraper on his Rolls Royce. But, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest who is coming back to buy, hold, sell. Sam Stovall from CFRA Research is joining us. Sam, welcome to the program. Hey, Todd. Good to talk to you again. Slinging Sammy Stovall, Todd. Slinging Sammy Stovall. He's not he holding is. back here. And he has been spot on. I mean, last year he was wire to wire. We had him on the first week of January and we heard it all along and he caught it right. So you're one of a very few guests that we've had on the show, Sam. So excellent job. So with that For those said, of you at home who don't have video... I'm bowing to Mr. Stovall here. He is okay. bowing. He is bowing. Thank we, you. we we encourage everybody to watch the TV shows for sure. But Sam, what do you think for this year for 2024? We haven't seen it yet. We're only one week in. But what do you think we're going to have on Wall Street for this year? Well, Todd, uh, basically what I have found is that good years tend to follow great years. I should have started out with a, uh, a riddle saying, what do you call, what's the difference between an all-weather radial tire and a 20% total return? One's a good year, the other's a great year. And <laughs> history basically says that we tend to see an improvement in the average return of 300 basis points, as well as a 10 percentage point increase in the frequency of a gain for the market whenever the prior year was up by 20% or more. So that, along with the presidential election cycle and the second year of a bull market, leads me to believe that we are going to have a double-digit year. Hey, Sam, so the argument I, I pose to almost everybody these days is, yeah, 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 history, history, schmistry. We have a war in Europe. We came out of a, of, of a pandemic. The Middle East is melting down. We have deglobalization. We have a dysfunctional Congress. So maybe that's positive for the market. You know, and also, you know, we have an economy that is 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 seventy eight percent services, and in all those other historical moments, twenties, thirties, fifties, sixties, eighties, were forty percent industrial. How can they be the the same? I understand human behavior. You know, fear and fear are, are haven't changed, but. How, why should this bleed through the way it has historically is what I'm trying to say or ask. Well, uh, well I th a good question, because I think a lot of people ask that, um, you know, the world today is not like it was 20, 40, 60 years ago. So why do you look to history as a guide? First off, History is a guide. It's never gospel. Um, Mark Twain said that it might not repeat, but it frequently rhymes. I mm -hmm. like to add that, yeah, like the singer of the national anthem, sometimes it forgets the words. So <laughs> what you have to do then is overlay this history with economic okay. projections, earnings forecasts, even technicals. I'm a big believer that fundamentals tell you what, but technicals tell you when and Why? how far. Yeah. And well, I, you know, we have this we have this like reverse Goldilocks effect now. You know, I I I also don't understand how can somebody be looking and someone is straight in the eye and say we're going to have five 
or six Fed rate cuts, and we're also not going to have a recession. Because going to your historical point, literally every time that we've had three or more cuts by the Fed, it was because of our recession. So solve that riddle for me, Mr. Riddler. <laughs> riddle me that, Batman. Riddle me that, Batman. Well, first off, let me finish the uh, the other thought about why history still works is because there's one component that has remained constant through history, and that is human reaction. Yeah. Uh, I believe that there is only one emotion in investing, and that is fear, fear of missing out on the way up and fear of losing money on the way down. So Ooh. that's what we got last year was the FOMO trade. I think that the reason that we ended up in the red early this year is because people delayed when they were going to take capital gains so that yeah. they could defer taxes sure. to 2025. So I think we have to uh, go in a lot longer into this year to see whether things are going to be dramatically different. Also, we typically climb a wall of worry uh, and the market tends to uh, look at that, evaluate it, make a decision very, very quickly. And I think that would happen this time as well. So uh, actually, I forgot what your overall question was. But, well, but I'm just, I mean, happy to say it, it, it was first of why, why should, you know, the past history apply this time? I think you answered that. Um, the macroeconomics, the other question was oh, about interest rates, right? Yeah, well, in other words, we can't. How, how do we have five interest rates if we don't have a recession? I mean, gosh, five interest rate cuts. That has never happened for, a, I think, a good reason. And I would agree. And I don't think we're going to do that. I actually think that we are going to see the Fed start their rate cut program later, that it'll probably happen in May and sometime in the second quarter, not in the first quarter. And I think we end up with uh, basically tiptoeing through the tulips by cutting 25 basis points in each of the final three quarters of the year. So whether that ends up uh, signaling a mild recession or a slowdown in economic growth, which is what we are projecting, 1.9% Q4 over Q4 for this year versus two and a half for last year. So I think essentially the economy will be slowing, but I don't see us going into recession. But but to slow that quickly, though, I mean, the, the, what you're suggesting is that only in, what, four or five months, you're going to have enough data over the next four months to suggest or warrant an interest rate cut. I mean, what is it right now? Because with the job jobs report that we had and we continue to see, we have a very healthy economy, it seems. What's going to make that pivot so suddenly? I just don't see it. And and with that, you would think interest rate cuts wouldn't occur until well into the second half of the year. I think one reason is because we continue to see a downward step, down step uh, of of uh, inflation. That next week we're going to be getting the uh, the yeah. CPI or or getting it pretty soon. And I think it's going to come in at three point eight percent rather than the. Uh, the most recent number at about 4%. That's core year on year. And I think we're going to continue to see the PCE, the more important of the three indicators, also show a continued downward trend. The Fed, I don't think, wants to keep rates elevated for too long because then they could end up choking off any kind of a soft landing. Um, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. If we end up having to have the Fed cut dramatically uh, over an extended period of time, then that means that something really bad uh, is around the corner. Yeah, I, I also I, I'm definitely of the school these days that when you have uh, an economy where basically 60 percent of people live paycheck to paycheck, getting inflation down is a very important thing to the Fed because that 
you know, that extra 10 cents here, an extra 20 and a dollar, so on and so forth. If you don't have very much or any discretionary income, that's the one they, they worry that more about that more, I think, than people because they never say it out loud. But, right. um, uh, but I would, and then the other would, thing is what happened to the uh, Sam, what happened to the lag effects? Well, exactly. With the lag effects, I think that uh, that's why the Fed did decide to uh, to stop raising interest rates because they didn't want to be uh, knowing in a sense they're aiming at a target that's on the other side of the horizon. Um, the same with how, you know, when they time the actual cutting of rates to begin, because, again, they want to make sure that they uh, are are landing successfully on the flat top. Uh, and so I think that it's a, a very fine line that they're going to be uh, walking. So Sam, in history, has the Federal Reserve, has the FOMC ever done something where they were proactive rather than reactive? In Not other words, well, in other words, I'll, I'll clarify that. Have they ever gone out of their way to actually start cutting rates sooner with the expectation that they didn't cut soon enough? I think most cynics would tell you that the Fed is always behind the curve. Right. Uh, they raise rates uh, later than they should. They cut rates later than they should. There have been uh, two, if not three times, however, in which the Fed raised rates once and then realized, oops, maybe we shouldn't have done that. So from that perspective, they were pretty quick in deciding that uh, the action that they took was incorrect and they swiftly uh, reversed course. So there have been times that the Fed, uh, because of the response by the market, uh, decided to make changes. And, and Sam, uh, you know, I, Evercore came out today, market down 17%. Of course, our dear friend, uh, Mr. Rosenberg is now looking for a 22% uh, bear market. I, I'm sort of, you know, shocked a little bit in that if you've been wrong five or six or let's say 10 or 15 years in a row, I, I guess it's just, I'm going to be right once. Hey, the Jets beat the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking about anomalies. I'm talking about patterns of recognition. Uh, right. Well, he's, he's making his call based on the data that he sees, et cetera. Uh, I basically make the calls based on the history that I have observed uh, as well as the technical analysis that I've yeah been looking at. I mean, I'm looking at a broadening marketplace. Uh, now we're, we're looking at uh, indicators, whether it's the percentage of sub-industries that are above their 50-day, 200-day, or both uh, of those indicators. Uh, in two out of the three, we're at a widening experience that is below the overbought level. Uh, in the 50-day area, we are at an overbought reading, but I would tend to think that that would simply be a correction in time or a, a pretty mild uh, digestion of those recent gains. But I still feel that uh, you know volatility will probably be higher in 2024 than it was in the final two months of 2023. But uh, I'm of the mindset that uh, we would have to have more of an anomaly, you know, like the Giants beating the Eagles, uh, to to see 2024 be a sharply negative year. But when you right. say Sam, when you say volatility, for people at home who don't really un understand that term, because uh, you know it's used for like five different reasons. Well, you're just talking about volatility is price volatility that you get this sawtooth, but sawtooth, but the saw is aiming up. Well, what I all I know is that when you have increased volatility, it causes people uh, to allow their emotions to become their portfolio's worst enemy. 
So mm -hmm. one of the presentations that I uh, like to give is called Using Stock Market History as Virtual Valium, or by understanding <laughs> stock market history, it actually can help calm your nerves, knowing that the, uh, the number uh, percentage of trading days uh, where the market was up or down by 1% or more during bull markets averaged only 15%, but close to 45% during bear markets gives you a good idea uh, mm. that, you know, of course, uh, bear markets make you nervous because the volatility uh, is substantially higher, three times higher than it were, where it normally is. What do you think of what happened yesterday, the last couple of days? You know, we, we, uh, to your point, people got over the finish line. Now I could take profits in NVIDIA or SMCI or whatever and, and, and defer those profits. But that only lasted two days. And then, and then um, I mean, we have a, we, we have a AI picks and shovels portfolio. Every one of these ones was up five and a half, six percent uh, in the last, you know, two days. It felt to me like some people took the profits, but this was truly the buy the dip uh, bell ringer. Was I wrong, hallucinating, or what? Um, no, I, I think you were right. But then again, we were down uh, today. So uh, I, I would tend to say that right now we're going through a digestive phase uh, that probably will be more in time than it will be in price. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, you know, in a sense, the, the markets are churning uh, because people are rotating out. They are looking at the sectors that did well last year, wondering whether they will continue to do well this year, uh, trading down down into maybe second tier uh, companies rather than the, uh, the first tier companies. So, you know, I would tend to say also that it's causing investors to question uh, the indicators of the Stock Traders Almanac, which I find very helpful uh, with the, the Santa Claus rally uh, not materializing with the first five days of January being down. Uh, that yeah. increases the uh, the concern and the skepticism that investors have. Todd, yeah. get, uh, get Hirsch on the line. Get Hirsch on well, the line. I got to tell you, Toby, that's a great segue because tomorrow we actually have Jeffrey Hirsch from the Stock Traders Almanac will be joining us oh, as our first Bible. So we had to go back to back with the superstars. I mean, you know, that's that's how it works here at Buy, Hold, Sell. So we're going to close it out on that block, guys, because coming up after the break, we're going to start talking turkey. Sam is going to give us some numbers. He talked about a double-digit increase in the markets this year. We want to know levels, and we want to know where we should focus on. Going and we want to know sectors. <laughs> I won't sectors disappoint. Too. Toby loves to say sectors is middle name. So listen, coming back, we have Sam Stovall, Chief Investment Strategist from CFRA Research, joining by himself. And we'll be back with you right after the break. Please stay with us. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, Grab a drink and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? 
Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast how much do you understand the future of finance I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Hi, it's Nicole Middendorf, CEO of Prosper Wealth Financial. You are listening to Tobin and Todd on Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. Well, we saw the S&P 500 this year. It's actually just dipped. I think we're down about 28 basis points right now, flat line overall. However, there's a number of Wall Street professionals that are actually seeing big returns this year. And one of them is with us today, Sam Stovall. He is the chief investment strategist at CFRA Research. He's coming to us from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Sam, when we left it off in the last block, we teased the levels of the S&P 500 for 2024. I know you actually came out a few weeks prior to the end of the year. For your Wait a minute, Sam Stovall came out? I mean, now, <laughs> now, we, now we have news, Todd. Sorry, Well, Sam, Sam I, I got to ask you, Sam, what levels do you have for the S&P 500 right now for 2024? Right now, it's 4940, which when established in the beginning of December was about a 10% price appreciation equivalent to the, the average uh, following right. great years. Uh, but obviously, with a very strong return that we got in December, um, I'm looking sort of bearish at this point, which I am not. One thing I am saying, however, is that large round numbers tend to act like rusty doors requiring several attempts before they finally swing open. So I, I think that, yes, we will be a, uh, setting a new high. But then maybe we do end up seeing a digestion of gains after setting a new high. And that 5,000 level, I think, is going to be very challenging. So my targets are rolling 12-month targets. So I reserve the right to alter that target uh, as okay. fundamentals and technicals change. What, what, Tom, what he's saying is he reserves the right to roll one if he's wrong. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally well, with you. Well, but, but, Sam, we had you on the show, uh, I guess, I mean, it was a while back. And you did say that you do adjust targets as they as they move forward as far as looking at uh, you know, economic data or even earnings data uh, with that. I know we had Dr. Ed Yardeni on the show 
He is very bullish. He has a 5,400 price target on the S&P this year. He actually said 6,000 in 2025. Yeah. Huge numbers. I know this isn't the price is right, but I did ask him this question. I'm going to ask you was when you take, a, take into account that forecast, are you also considering that it isn't an election year? Year. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I feel that I should be more optimistic, because going to world back to World War II, uh, we have seen every first term administration that's up for re-election uh, experience a, a an advance in the market with the average total return being 15 and a half percent. Add to wow. that, we're in the second year of a bull market. Average gain is 12.5%. Uh, only two times since World War II did a bull market not complete its second year, and that was in 1948 and right after the pandemic in 2022. Mm. Um, so I would tend to say that, you know, with an 86% success rate, that chances are we are likely to see a pretty good return based on following a great year, the second year of a bull market and first-term administration up for re-election. Doesn't mean that the first-term president is going to get re-elected. It just right. means in that election year, the market tends to do very well. Did it make any difference in the years where there was a split Congress uh, in the second term? Uh, interesting point about that, because what I have done is, I guess, proving I have no social life. I went back <laughs> to World War II and looked at all of those different scenarios. There are three of them a united government in which the president and both houses of Congress both are houses, the same yeah. party. United Congress, where president is one party, but Congress is of both uh, houses being the other party, and then a split Congress. On average, um, the best return has been a united government, because whatever the president wants, Congress rubber stamps, and then you get uh, that kind of growth. A Democratic president who heads up a split Congress 13.2% is the average gain, and the frequency of advance has been 100% going back wow. to 1944. Uh, we've only had five observations, however. Uh, but what that basically says is, as you were sort of implying earlier, uh, if Congress cannot agree on something because it's a split Congress, it's usually pretty good for the market because they're not enacting any laws that are going to be restrictive to business. So, What's the old saying? If the opposite of pro is con, then the opposite of progress is Congress. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is, right. So is there going to be a book of Stovallisms? I mean, <laughs> or are you just, you don't want to share your material with the rest of us, so you're just going to hard it yourself? Well, I also can't uh, guarantee that everything that I say is original, so I don't want to have well, to. Well, that's all right. You can, you on. know, you can you can give a little acclamation, uh, you know, to that point. But you're a collector. Instead of having the CFRA thing all over your office, you should just have these things signed by the people who originally sent them and make a collection of them. The, the late... The late Rich Amarone, who was an economist at Bloomberg, who oh, Sam, sure. I know you Rich. very well. The yeah. two of you would have been great at, at a stand-up routine. Definitely a Wall Street comedy night. It would have been perfect. Yeah, so but, very much. Damn, yeah, I definitely miss him. Yeah. So so with that though, and that 13 plus percent gain, is that during an election year? Because with Jeff Hirsch, he was telling us his stock traders almanac. 
you really, it doesn't matter whether the incumbent wins, you just want the incumbent to run. Now, if say Biden drops out, historically that shows that Wall Street actually has a sell-off. So traders just want this guy to run hmm. no matter what the outcome is. But that 13 plus well, uh, percent but, is- Well, let me, let me throw out, a um, okay. in uh, 1964, the market was up. Uh, obviously the incumbent could not run. Uh, we, in 1968, um, Hubert H. Humphrey was not pleased as punch because he lost, uh, but he was in a sense carrying on uh, the programs of Johnson uh, and Johnson chose not to rerun, but the market was up in 68. So, you know, the market has done well. Uh, also was 1948 uh, Truman's first year or was 52 because he was not elected in 44. Right, so, oh, that's interesting, right. yeah. A lot of hey, history, Sam, but I Sam, added them all in there, and we still yeah. got a hundred percent. So, do, do, do you, I, I can't remember. Do you do an earnings per share for the S and P uh, forecast as well? Yes. Uh, well, I personally don't. Uh, we use S and P consensus uh, estimates, and okay. basically, what the street is saying is about two hundred and forty-one dollars for the S and P five hundred versus two eighteen in twenty twenty-three. Yeah, because that's the other thing. You know, when you go back to history on the positive side here, that here we have the magnificent seven. I don't know because I had nothing to do yesterday because I was freezing my head off. Um, I, I was going through the gross margin earnings per share and comparing them to like 40 years ago for the top 10. And it's not even close. I mean, the profit margin, the sales growth, the actual profits per share would indicate that the market should be more valuable because the earnings are so much higher. Um, and, and if interest rates come down, now you have a, you know, a company, you have, now we have no reason to own, you have a reason to own debt because it's going to go up in value, but you don't have a, a reason as soon as you it expires, you're not going to be buying it again at two percent, whatever. So you know we had we had there is no alternative, right, Tina? For all that time when money was free, we, you know we own some bonds, uh, particularly junk bonds, I think coming down uh, of rates because they go up in value. But it's not like you're discounting the present value of these companies at such a big discount rate because their earnings, of, you know, sort of uh, uh, trajectory is locked in. It's not this. If you look at Microsoft, or, I mean, I'm not throwing Apple in there, but I mean, anybody who's a basically a software repeating zero incremental cost uh, company, yikes. Yep. Well, you're also bringing up a good point about how the economy has changed. I mean, it used to be a heavily manufacturing environment, which had V-shaped uh, recessions and recoveries. Uh, now, with it being much more service oriented and uh, also with uh, services, uh, they are more scalable, et cetera. Uh, and so profit margins can improve dramatically. Also, and global. You know, and global. Look at Microsoft. My global. Lord. Sure. And also, if you go back to 1953, which is as far back as the Fed offers 10-year yield data, the average was between five and a quarter and five and a half. We're still uh, trading at a substantial discount. So many would say that that's free money. And also, when you look at the unemployment rate remaining below 4%, well, uh, remember, some economists said that 5% was uh, full employment at one point. That's right. That's right. Well, that's so not true. when... That's not when 10,000 people turn 65 every day and 5,500 5, turn 70 every day in the United States for the next up until what, 2031, 2032? 
That, and all those other times, we had people coming in from World War II. We had people coming in from Vietnam War. We had a birth rate going up. We had marriage rates higher. We we're the complete opposite of that today, um, including my favorite fact that over 70% of Gen Z and tweeners are living at home. I mean, Todd, I, I know you have that to look for. You don't have to look for because your children will all be pilots and they'll be actually paying for your hospital care. But, there you um, go. Uh, but again, I just it's so different. Almost every macroeconomic segment. Sam, the one I do want to ask you about is we are starting to see, I'm calling this like the Facebook syndrome, where they finally said, OK, maybe we shouldn't spend $70 billion on a thing called the metaverse. So now we're going to cut those, like in their case, 25,000 jobs. Almost every day now, we're seeing particularly tech companies come out and just, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, unify to unity today, 25% of their of their headcount. Is that really saying that they didn't need those 25, you know, 25% of the headcount? I think what it means is that based on changes that they have made to their strategic plans that yes, they don't need those 25,000 people that because if they were going to go down that path, then yeah, they needed those people. But now they've made an executive decision not to do that. But at the same time, expectations are for technology to post a 16% rise in earnings in 2024 versus 10% for the market. Well, I just put together a portfolio of tech companies that have cut more than 10% of their personnel. And shockingly, their earnings per share went up. Now get ready for this. More than ten percent. I mean, it's it's almost a hundred percent correlated. Basically, they should have fired the CEO first for hiring all those buffoons, and and then they you know they're right sizing. I guess and maybe this is post pandemic. I get that. You know, there were who who knew, but um, I I think the unemployment rate, based on what I'm just seeing in the where the heavy employment is, the unemployment rate is going to go up this year uh, on a on a on a you know marginal basis simply because. The other CEOs are now starting to get the medicine, um, and you're just we don't have quite the job displacement between people seeking and jobs available that we had, let's say, two three years ago. But it's nothing that's going to knock us down into a recession. I just don't get that. Exactly, four point two percent is where we think the unemployment rate might be at the end of this year. But that's after uh, all of these increases in interest rates, et cetera. But um, uh, our feeling is that it's because of the consumer that we're not going to be falling into recession. Yeah. And if you look at any retail store you walk into in most parts of the United States, the first thing you see is not is uh, help needed, help wanted, you know, need today. Uh, I, I I was uh, I had some people in from Canada and uh, we were going out to trying to find, you know, a decent place to eat because, you know, the Canadians have a very limited diet uh, program. I don't know. It's, it's got to be something dead and something with gravy on it. Right. So we were walking through the, 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 the you know, the mall. Every store has a help wanted sign. Wow. Every it's incredible. Yeah. I yeah, so this recession thing is yeah. So Sam, so before we close out the show, uh, any particular sectors that CFA say CFRA is recommending this year? Yes, you might be surprised to uh, to say uh, that we recommend that you let your winners ride. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, in the beginning of 2023, uh, I was telling people, look, last year was a down year, down 19.4 percent. History tells you that we are going to rotate from first to worst meaning we're going to move away from the sectors that held up the best in the down year, traditionally your staples, healthcare, utilities, and gravitate toward the three worst performing sectors, which, by the way, were communication services, consumer, <laughs> infra 
Secondary and tech all up 50% on average. But following up years, you actually want to let your winners ride. And looking at numbers, uh, going back to 1991, which is as far back as S&P has sector level data, uh, in the, the... by sticking with the three best performing sectors, you added about 250 basis points per year uh, to the market's return. And you uh, saw a, a 10 percentage point improvement in the frequency of advance in that portfolio. And you beat the market 70% of the time. Wow. Uh, did, did, did that happen, Sam, during uh, Fed cycles? Did, did the Fed cycle affect that? I mean, rate, rate hiking, rate cutting? Good question. Did not look into that specifically. But I also figure that, you know, when you're dealing with maybe, you know, 30 years worth of uh, um, data, you don't want to add too many um, Boolean logic questions because then the supply, the uh, observation size ends up getting pretty small. But hang um, on for a second. Hey, Siri, what is Boolean logic? Okay, thanks. uh, And then take that one step further. If you were to own last year's 10 best performing sub industries, uh, you uh, almost doubled the market uh, on average and you beat the market 73% of the time. So specific areas, application software, automobile manufacturers, construction and engineering, mm-hmm. home building, hotels, resorts, cruise lines, interactive media and services, semiconductors, system software, tech hardware, and then finally trading companies and distributors. So those were the 10 best performers last year. And as a group, uh, they historically have continued to outperform in that subsequent year. What is that thing about inertia? Things that in motion continue to stay in motion? Exactly. I just yeah. wanted to come back against the Boolean logic malarkey, whatever the hell that shit is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to close out the show there, guys. So coming up this week on Thursday, with as far as economic data, we do have that, that critical CPI number that Sam was talking about. Earnings season kicks off on Friday with the bulge bracket banks. Lots to look forward to. And on buy, hold, sell, we actually have Jeffrey Hirsch on on the show tomorrow. We have Gina Martin-Adams is going to be joining us on Thursday. So, Sam, you said it all today, as usual, a wonderful guest. We can't thank you enough for joining us today on buy, hold, sell. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for inviting me, guys. Love it, slinging Sammy Stovall. You hit it out of the park again, baby. All right. Thanks, Toby. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on behalf of Sam Stovall and Tobin Smith, I am Todd Schoenberger. Thank you once again for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Buy, Hold, Sell brought to you by Crosscheck Management. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.